Thanks for uh, tuning in for this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. My guest uh, for this episode is uh, Phil Dunkelberger, who is uh, president and CEO of Knock Knock Lab. So, Phil, why don't you go ahead and let the audience know a little bit about uh, your, your background and kind of what you're doing now. Great. Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. And my background is I started my career working with Xerox when they introduced Ethernet and some of the ease of use ideas of mice and windows back in the early 80s. So I've been at this for some time and through my career have always focused on standards and essentially innovation around standards. So uh, probably the most relevant thing for the audience is, is I was the CEO of PGP uh, twice where we worked on making that an international standard for encryption. And as I moved on after that was purchased by Symantec, uh, I got involved in the whole idea of the fast identity online movement known as FIDO. And that uh, Knock Knock Labs originated that specification for the protocol. And I've been privileged to lead the team and be part of an industry group moving ahead, trying to essentially solve the problem of uh, ease of use and, and secure logon to the internet, kind of a hole that's been there for 50 years. How do we eliminate usernames and passwords and go to a much easier, more secure way of accessing things uh, on the internet? Absolutely. I mean, didn't, I, I don't even remember the year now, but didn't, didn't Bill Gates promise us like 25 years ago that the password was dead? Yes. It's, it reminds me a lot of being involved in ethernet early on in my career that every three or four years was going to be the year of the network. And we went, what, 20 years before it was widely deployed and used from a networking standpoint. Um, and I think that that's been the same thing where we knew that the idea of usernames and passwords was, a, you know, essentially a compromised idea from the beginning, shared secrets. And as we've moved through different iterations of computing, uh, we end up always back there of what do we do to get rid of this essentially large scale a uh, breachable set of credentials that people use in 80 to 90 percent of all data breaches. How do we get rid of those? What's the fundamental way we're going to change the way we're doing things? Yeah. So it, you know, it, it, interesting, uh, you know, you uh, segue because uh, you, you talked about kind of the the, the evolution of, of Ethernet and networking. Um, I feel like a lot of what uh, FIDO is about and what Knock Knock is about is uh, basically like it, you know how like for like almost anything you could think of in cybersecurity is an afterthought like someone comes up with a product they come up with a service they just launch it everyone loves it they start using it and then and then like six months later someone goes oh hey you know what we should probably secure that um and i feel like networking is, is largely the same way like tcp ip wasn't really invented with security in mind it, it wasn't it wasn't something that occurred to them and we've spent the last you know 30 40 years trying to kind of band-aid tcp ip 
Yeah, that, that idea of band-aiding, I think, goes deeply into to your point. People are really about solving people's problems. And for a long time, we never thought about solving them securely because that's really not what people were thinking of. You know, the, the Internet in and of itself was not designed to be a commerce platform. It was designed to be an information sharing platform and at some level a research platform. And as it evolved over time and you added more and more essentially features and capabilities and solutions to it, security became more and more a, a front end capability. And I would argue that, you know, when perimeters begin to fail and arguably perimeters have failed for a long time, you know, the, the idea of building a deeper, taller wall, that paradigm shift is really now where we are just people with devices looking for services all over the world, whether they're customers or whether they're partners or whether they're employees. I still run into a lot of people saying, you know, we, we have these different groups and I look at it and go, yeah, the groups all have similar types of devices and they're looking for similar types of services. And that's when you get into how do we segregate what they have access to, what needs to be encrypted, uh, what, what needs to, to actually have some kind of AI front end to say, hey, have we seen these people before? Then you get into your point of this is no longer just a Band-Aid, right? Because now we're talking about a whole roll of Band-Aid tape, not just one Band-Aid. Right. Um uh, this is slightly, slightly digressing, but uh, I, I'm curious. You know, we, we love acronyms, uh, and, and and FIDO FIDO is a very easy acronym to remember. Uh, uh, you know, and, and that that's great. I'm curious if there was intent behind it uh, being FIDO as, as it relates to that old. Uh, you know, when, when you're on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting point. FIDO, Fast Identity Online, the whole evolution of that name, it was a placeholder, actually. When I got involved with FIDO, um, Michael Barrett from PayPal, uh, uh, Ramesh Kanasapali, who founded Knock Knock Labs, and the whole FIDO movement, and uh, uh, Tahrir Gamal, who's very famous for the Gamal cipher, uh, and, and being a, a very deeply well-known guy in security, they were out talking about this. When I got involved, FIDO was a placeholder. And it was an idea that, you know, it was friendly because the idea is one of the four design points of FIDO was making something really easy to use, you know, contrary to the way most security works. The second was strong security. So FIDO, you know, is it a guard dog, right? The third piece was privacy. How do we keep things private, things in people's own yards or houses, so to speak? And the fourth was cost reduction. Those were the four prime drivers that they were trying to come up with to build essentially what this protocol became. The interesting piece of that dog metaphor goes back to kind of why we named the company Knock Knock Labs, because if I say Knock Knock, what do you say back to me? Who's there? Exactly. The whole idea core to this is, is it a dog or is it a human being at the end of the line there on the Internet? And those all seem to be covered, whether it was security or friendly or private, you know, in your own yard or ultimately who's there. All of those things seem to fit under that placeholder umbrella and it's stuck. So that's the evolution of the FIDO name. Very interesting. Um, so, you know, you said, you know, Knock Knock, knock was, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of original founder of FIDO and obviously an active participant. I believe Knock Knock was also the first organization to actually be FIDO compliant. Um, when you're doing something like that uh, and, and trying to just make identity and authentication 
you know, faster and more secure. Do you run into uh, issues with regional and you know international law type things? Because the internet, you know, when you step back holistically, it's like there is no, there, there really isn't a border. It's just, you know, it's just the internet. Um, but I know, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the you know, kind of early PGP days, but, you know, the, the Phil Zimmerman had some some issues with the U.S. government in terms of uh, whether he was allowed to share PGP outside of the United States. Yeah, the infamous Phil investigated by the Justice Department and the ITAR Act that uh, encryption was a munition, especially strong encryption. And to your point, yeah, there are there were a bunch of different uh, essentially regional people involved in the beginning. Something we, having been involved with the PGP standard, becoming a standard over the years, we were asked really to consider that from day one. And one of the nice things about the FIDO movement was about a third of the members, if you, if you look at, there's been more than 400 plus companies around the world involved in developing and, and ultimately passing the technology specification onto the W3C involved. So there's been a lot of that. About a third from um, Asia, about a third from uh, the Americas, and about a third from Europe. So we've had multinational people involved from day one. We have worked very hard with people like the European Banking Authority on PSD2. From the very beginning, we went and talked to NIST to make sure that NIST, the National Institute of Standards, and other standards bodies globally would know what we were doing. Uh, we worked you know, inside of uh, with Lenovo, one of the founding members of the alliance, inside China, so there wouldn't be contrarian things developed inside China. And there's a now within the FIDO, uh, the broad FIDO organization, there is a working group inside of China, a working group inside of Japan, a working group in in Europe, a working group in broadly North America, and there's a working group probably coming in Africa. So you're really starting to see the regionalization of FIDO in a positive way take hold because all of these have different cultural issues, uh, different legal issues, different technology constructs you want to consider as you implement the standard now that it is a standard. Right. Yeah. Anyway, another thing that uh, when, it, when it comes to working on something like that, where it's a, it's a kind of a global project, it takes time, uh, it evolves over time. Um, I, I, last week I was at, uh, I was in, uh, uh, Washington, D.C. at the National Geographic Explorers Festival. Um, and it, it, it struck me, so totally unrelated to cybersecurity, but it struck me that these these scientists, whether they're, you know, trying to, you know, save the elephant or save a plant species or, you know, wh whatever they're trying to work on, you know, that, that work spans decades. And, but in the meantime, Governments rise and fall, you know, well, you know, you know, it's like you, we have, you know, one one president who might fully support everything you're doing. And then the next president comes along and says, oh, that's a bunch of you know crap. We're not going to support that. But meanwhile, you still have to kind of like march along and, and, and you kind of have to, depending on how you want to look at it, you either have to kind of like stay, stay below the radar or just rise above it all and just stay focused on what you're doing. And, and, and I feel like when it comes to FIDO and when it comes to kind of global Internet security, I feel like there's probably some aspects of that as well, where it's like you you and like everyone who's part of the FIDO Alliance kind of have to like stay focused on the on the on, on what you're doing, regardless of the kind of like ebb and flow of politics. 
my comment on that is having done PGP, and that is still a hot button, as we know, encrypting of data, right? That is a front page news item. Uh, Tim Cook giving the Stanford uh, address that he gave last week talked about that, right, about the responsibility of securing people's data and privacy. It's a global issue and will continue to be talked about. We were on the forefront of that years and years ago, right? Post the clipper chip, the next big thing came with PGP phone, right? How, how, how are you going to uh, react to Kalia and these access capabilities that governments all agreed to if, in fact, you could have private phone conversations? And that, that rub that you point out of, of and, the, and the corollary to National Geographic and other big NGOs trying to solve the ecosystem problem of as, as we expand, what do we do with the encroachment on animals? I personally am involved in, in a bunch of those things in my personal life. But you're right. You have to really stay focused on solving the problem. The problem here is too many people were being co-opted by insecure login. And the ways that we'd gone about it were proprietary. In some cases, they made things harder to use. And it really was going to take a global effort by a whole bunch of people, by and large, who competitively didn't get along in markets to sit down and say, listen, we need to find a better way and we can't blow up everything else that we've done over the last 30, 40, 50 years. We have to find a plug and play capability, kind of like we solved roaming uh, mobile. Remember when mobile, you had to go get the dongle and plug it into your PC to get any mobile capability? Yeah. Remember how printers, you and I go back to printers, what a frustration that was. I want to print something and I've got to go download some obscure driver to make that printer work, right? Typeface capability, etc. Industry coming together for standards for things like plug and play is some of the best work the industry's done. The Ethernet standard early in my career, that standard ultimately uh, survived so many different ideas to become the dominant standard in networking today. And when we did wireless, we extended that, right? We didn't go reinvent networking to do wireless. We extended those protocols. So I've been a big believer that when industry comes together to solve big, broad, common problems like login and access control, it's a good thing. And that's why after PGP was purchased by Symantec, I was asked to come and try to do this, you know, by the venture people and other people involved. They said, Phil, you've done this before. And then ultimately, you're going to have to innovate around the standard. And we've spent a lot of time at Knock Knock Labs adding significant innovations on top of the FIDO protocol. So there's basically FIDO protocol, which is how do you build a FIDO essentially endpoint. And then there's all the things you're going to have to do to make it work in a positive way for it to be truly plug and play. And that's where we've spent a lot of our time and had, quite frankly, a lot of current success in deploying large scale uh, of users to be able to use FIDO. So it's really, can you innovate around a standard? But to your point, you got to get the standard done first. And that took us roughly from the announcement in 2013, what we were working on with some other big people in the industry. That took us, you know, five years before the W3C was ready to start moving toward a full implementation of the standard in the browser. And right. we had a lot of help. We had a lot of, lot of companies and a lot of individuals who got on board really trying to solve the problem, which I, I and hope the rest of the industry will be grateful for going forward. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's, let's switch then and talk a little bit more specifically about, you know, FIDO and, and, uh, and, and authentication. Um, you know, like we said, like we started off talking about, you know, passwords and, and uh, usernames and passwords have certainly not gone away. I have, you know, probably more now than ever. Um, you know, I've, I've 
written for the better part of 20 years about you know creating stronger, more secure passwords, and we've gone through various iterations of you know every password should be you know a confusing jumble of you know 85 characters to <laughs> you know to you know and you, you need to change your password every three every three days and you know and and, and you know now i feel like you know I, i've seen a lot of stuff just in the past year or so of kind of a, a shift in the other direction where people are starting to realize you know what when you make users change their passwords you know every 30 60 90 days you're actually kind of adding to the problem. You know, they're they're more likely to write their passwords down and everything. So, but I, I don't want to focus so much on the password part. Let's just let's just kind of say yes, passwords and usernames are are a problem when it comes to authentication. Um, and uh, and also, as you pointed out in the beginning, e- easily compromised or guessed or cracked or whatever, um, and and ultimately end up being you know playing a central role in like. 80 to 90 percent of attacks out there and um you know one one of the things that i've uh said for some time now probably three four years at least is you know while while some people and some companies are still focused on you know inside outside you know here's my perimeter those are the bad guys we're the good guys all that kind of stuff i'm like well at the point of attack at the point of data exfiltration or the point of compromise Almost every attack is an inside attack, as far as you're concerned. I mean, it's, it's, it is using valid username and password credentials. And so there's no difference to you between whether it's an inside or an outside attack. You need you need a different approach to security in general. Um, and, and there are multiple facets to that. But I think FIDO and, and, and this trying to take the, the, the identity and access management out of usernames and passwords alone into other facets, into two-factor, multi-factor, and those types of things, I think is 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 crucial. Um, I just saw uh, uh, there's a new Microsoft is pushing out a new version of uh, Windows, like 1903, um, which is FIDO2. Windows Hello is FIDO2 uh, certified um, in in there, and. Uh, I love Windows Hello. I love just sitting down on my computer and it says, "Oh, hey, Tony, you're here," and it just you know comes on. Um, so let's talk then. I, I guess you know, like what, where, how do you see all of that kind of playing out when it comes to to, to FIDO and things like that? I mean, uh, and, and I know I'm rambling on and taking up all all the oxygen in the room, but um, I, you know, to me, I feel like. The, the the mobile phone at least at least in the United States I don't know how it would play out you know internationally but the mobile phone seems to be like a would be in like an ideal second factor it's like I always have my phone nobody else has my phone and it would be real easy to just say you know if my phone is not in range of you know me logging in then you know I can't log in so well you you've hit on a bunch of ways that we've implemented Fido and going back to Fido and, and to that construct you just laid out. It is part of Windows. Uh, it's part from going forward in Android. It's going to be part of Android. It's going to be part of every browser by probably first quarter of next year if you want the W3C mark. The point being is FIDO is a component-based architecture that allows people to use the, the things they have. To your point, turn the phone into a hard token. Most phones have multiple levels. They have a trusted execution environment, um, the TEE inside the phone, a secure enclave, uh, FIDO works on public-private key challenges, which is the beauty of it. It doesn't store, it doesn't ever transmit any of your personal information, key material, anything to, to a big database in the back. 
Um, it's great if somebody wants to fish you because fishing without both parts of that device, the keys, etc., will not allow you to be fished. You know, PayPal's got a fake site. You click on the link and it goes, there's no key here and they're supposed to be by policy. You know, there's, there's a bunch of things that FIDO mitigates beyond just getting rid of the username and password from an ease of use perspective. Because underneath, it's based on the strongest thing that we've, you know, figured out how to deploy, right? Which is public-private key challenges. That's probably the best security, getting rid of shared secrets, getting rid of the databases of big username and passwords that become a really juicy target for people. Why steal yours when I can steal everybody's, right? If I'm going to go do logging, yeah. to your point. So reducing the target environment uh, on the back end, adding capability on the front end based on some different technologies that we know are proven and work, doing it at scale so literally millions of people can take advantage of this without really even knowing FIDO's there. That was the design points back, you know, when we started working on this. And we've had a lot of great inputs from a lot of great technology people to make it literally embedded, that it's just there in Windows, it's just there in Android environment. You can use, you know, PCs, you can use kiosks. You know, we've gone beyond this to be able to do silent install. So, you know, you come in and it, it automatically enrolls you from a trust device standpoint that we can do. There's a number of these things that need. And then beyond that, you know, some in, in some countries and in some verticals like fintech, you need to be able to do things like key recovery, right? If you're using keys, I need to be able to recover keys. I need to be able to move the key, the, the key store from point A to point B if, if, if uh, the device is compromised. Uh, or if I lose the device, right, I need to reinstantiate my keys. These are all things, given that we came from PGP, we knew how to work on. But the whole point is, is really taking a lot of that away from the pressure on the user, that the user doesn't have to remember and change and do. You know, password resets in one of our uh, big accounts that's deployed tens of millions of users is now saving their help desk. 85% of their, their uh, calls were coming in were for password reset. If I want to regenerate a key, since the, the server inside their environment controls the endpoint, all the server does is say, you know, swipe your finger, take another selfie, speak the passphrase again, and it creates a new key. That's password reset with FIDO. Works beautifully. You're not having to call somebody. You're not having to answer, you know, 14 more questions about your dog's name in 1963. All that goes away because you now have a construct underneath that allows you to easily do things. Step up authentication for PAS, uh, uh, PSD2 in Europe, right? One of the big tenets around the world is SMS has been broken. It's going away. It's been, you know, NIST said deprecated over the next few years. Don't use it anymore because it's false security. You know, this idea of sending a code to your phone. Right. The beauty with FIDO is I can, I can do a selfie, voice, um, secure pin. I can add all those things with public keys on the back end, and I can step up if any of those methods aren't working well for me on the back end. So the beauty is FIDO gives you infinite flexibility and upgradability. And I don't say this with hyperbole. We've deployed this uh, at Knock Knock to literally hundreds of millions of users now around the world. It works at scale. It works in multiple modalities. We've had people do everything from voice, uh, selfie, pin, uh, to people starting to do behavioral biometrics, which is kind of the the, the hot penny now, how do I hold my phone? How do I press on the front of it? How are my keystroke cadence when I'm typing on a keyboard? 
we've incorporated all those because under the FIDO protocol, they're just different authenticators. Because remember, it's not that authenticator we're worried about. It's that authenticator that generates a public-private key challenge, which is the strength of the security. And that's why within five years, FIDO went from being an idea on a piece of paper to becoming a standard. And as you know, in the 20 years, and I know in my almost 40 years of doing this, standards are really hard to get done because of all the different you know, phases they have to go through. So yeah. it's been, you know, this idea, and I can remember being ridiculed by people saying, hey, Dunk, seriously, you think your little company and some partners are going to be able to make this thing a standard? Really? And I said, guys, in the real world architecture, the best architecture usually wins. And it's not just my little company. It's a group of people who care about solving the problem, a big group with some really big players like Google and Microsoft and, and some of the big telcos and some of the big fintechs that have come to the table and said, we really do need to solve this. It's, it's at the root of a lot of our problems. Yeah. And I had, I, I had one guy, I'll give you a great quote. One guy at a major bank a couple of years ago said, this thing FIDO solves about, and they, they'd suffered multiple data breaches. He said, this thing solves 100% of about 80% of our problems. And he said, I don't know why people just don't start deploying it. It baffles me. And I said to him, I said, like everything else, it's going to take a long time to get rid of usernames and passwords and that user behavior to something new. And it's going to take a force of will of people that are really, as a movement, going to move it downstream. So to your point, more passwords are going to be used and generated. But at the end of the day, data is currency. We need to protect it. And the keys to it are stronger, better credentialing that's easier to use. As a FIDO member said very well a couple of years ago, there's 4 billion people in the world that don't know what usernames and passwords are. Let's not tell them. Hmm. That's a good quote. Um, you know, it, it occurs to me that there is a... Uh, uh, sort of fringe benefit side effect here too, uh, akin to um, some of the deception technology going on out there. So, you know, once once I've got this and I say, okay, you know, I, you know this is how I'm going to authenticate, um, you know, you can start to use uh, failed authentication attempts. I mean, I, I, we already do, but, but uh, there's an opportunity here to use the failed authentication attempts as sort of a flag to say, hey, there's something going on here. Like, why, why is someone trying to log in the wrong way? You, you hit on a great point. This changes the game from what I used to call risk signals. A risk signal is, hey, somebody's tried to log in seven times, right? And it's been wrong every time. There's something going on bad here. Versus assurance signals, right? That's what it's titled, risk and assurance. The industry for years has been focused on risk signals, right? These bad things that we see going on in the network or on a device or from a user versus what do you do when you have a strong, valid assurance that the guy who created the key, right, and the system that created the key and the devices that created the key and the services attached to those keys are who they say they are, like who's there. If I've got a strong assurance of who's there, think about how it changes content delivery thinks how it changes um, different services you can offer at the point of somebody being online versus just knowing it's a device online. It really changes paradigms from risk signals and, and, and trying to cobble together a risk score to maybe flipping it on its head and said, what kind of assurance signals are we getting from this user and devices? And how do we mitigate or get better assurance signals going forward? Not just worried about the risk scoring that's mitigating us doing a transaction. 
Right. Does that so, make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, so moving forward, you know, like, like you just, you just got them talking about how, you know, it take, take some time. Uh, there's a, you know, certainly a process to trying to get something like this to be, you know, the mainstream and get people to stop using usernames and passwords. Um, I also feel like to, to, to an extent it helps when, you know, a, a massive company, a, a, a Google or a Microsoft just draws a line in the sand. And says, as of this version, we're no longer doing. It's like it's like Apple with the uh, on the iPhone with the headphone jack. Everyone thought you guys are crazy. Why are you getting rid of the headphone jack? And then now everyone else is following suit and getting getting rid of the headphone jack. It's just you know, it, it, Apple just had the you know cojones to say, you know what, we're just doing this. We don't you know <laughs> we don't care what you think. Um, you know, so like you know, if Microsoft would just you know in you know, the next iteration of Windows, just say, oh, guess what? Passwords are no longer a thing. Uh, that would certainly expedite the process. Yeah, I think that to your point, it's it's really going to be a lot of just force of will out there. If you really want to get rid of usernames and passwords, and again, remember, we're dealing with user behavior. We spent a long time training people on that stuff. And it's going to take time to to make them comfortable with that not being there. Most people, you know, don't realize that username and password is just one part of authentication and, and identity when you're online. There's a whole bunch of other back-end factors that go into that. The beauty of FIDO, whether it's federation or anything else you want to do with an identity, it fits in and plugs and plays. And my point of plugging and play, it really does. The 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 things that you can do. We've got one account that started out with four devices and 18 services that it wanted to implement the protocol on. Today, it has a couple of hundred devices and more than 700 services in less than three years that no longer use usernames and passwords. And they're doing it passively, meaning as users come on, they're given a choice. And most users are going to choose, to your point, ease of use over complicated usernames and passwords. Uh, so, there, there's the construct out there, but it's going to take time. Education always does. You know, FIDO has had to get to FIDO 2, where it's got a ubiquitous way of being deployed in a browser. 80% of all transactions out there on the Internet happen through a browser interface. You know, the whole idea of there's an app for that, yeah, there is, but the, the real interface is usually a browser interface for people to get things done. And I think it's these kind of things and standards bodies supporting it that just like we saw dongles go away on your, your wireless function, and we saw ultimately you know people having to go do downloads of, of different drivers for printers, eventually all that stuff goes away. And it's just going to be, like you said, log in automatically, strong usernames and passwords underneath the covers. The users don't even know it's there. It's better assurance, better ease of use and modalities. And ultimately, it's going to drive down costs for things like deployment of biometrics, because deploying sensors, by and large, those have come down way in price, but the hooking them up was always proprietary. Now we've got a standard way to plug and play biometrics. We've got a standard way to do passive things like uh, behavioral biometrics. So it's leading to new capabilities that we haven't had before. And out of that, other people are going to innovate and provide more and better ways of people to do authentication and identity. Very cool. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see the, the, the end of usernames and passwords, you know, in, in, in Bill Gates' lifetime. So he can, yeah. so, so he yeah, can ultimately be, be correct. Yeah, since Gates is older than you and me, let's hope so, okay? <laughs> glad, glad we're not going to be the guys waiting on Godot, all right? Yeah. 
Um, so, all right. Well, I, I, I appreciate you taking that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you'll be at uh, Black Hat. Um, we have people at Black Hat. Um, uh, we've got people at Identiverse, which is going on. I mean, if you really look at the rise of identity as the new perimeter and the discussions that are going on around, you know, like we said, just people with devices looking for services, it really changes the paradigm about how we can think about login and how we can think about plug and play to risk and assurance systems, et cetera. Uh, it's a cool movement to be part of. I, I'm really glad that you took the time today to to talk a little bit about it. And uh, I'm like you. I hope that in our lifetime, we see ultimately usernames and passwords go to the dustbin of history. Very good. All right, well, take care. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.